1: Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull-Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein, and we tend to do that in the world of sports, of comedy, of music, of books, of pastor church world, testimonies, the list goes on and on, business. And today we have a rarity. We have a returning guest, Justin Whitmore early, some of you guys remember he was on a couple of years ago talking about habits of the household. He also had a book called the common rule, which was a big deal. And now he's got a book that is in my lane, like nobody's business. I didn't think he could write a book. That was more in my lane, but it's more in my lane called <laughs> made for people. It just came out about a week ago and welcome back to the Pinkleton pull aside podcast, Justin. Thank you, Jeff.
0: So pumped to be here. Honored to be one of the, I guess, few returning guests yeah. here we are.
1: We have had Olivia Eldridge on twice, Matthew Sleeth twice, Ryan Carr twice, Andre Davis twice, Brent Hanson I think was only on once. So you might be the fifth. I think you're the fifth person that's been on here twice. So I'll
0: take that short list. It well, sounds like a good company to do.
1: You keep writing books like you're writing it get, get narrower and narrower and narrower to my heart we're gonna have you on all the time that's all i know so
0: we're in your lane here but i'm, ha- I'm happy to hear it
1: well and, le- and let me broad let me broaden that out so common rule we didn't talk about that hardly at all last time tell people briefly about the common rule
0: the common rule is a book on habits as spiritual disciplines it gives four daily and four weekly habits to draw spiritual disciplines into places, kind of unsuspecting places of your life, like your work rhythms, your technology rhythms. And it came importantly out of my transition from being a missionary in China to being a business lawyer. Mm -hmm. And my life actually fell apart personally, just had awful anxiety, mental health crash, where I realized that my head and my worldview stuff was really good, still very missional and Christian, but my habits, we like going off into left field of like the modern America corporate lawyer stuff. And that was a time of life where I realized that you, your head goes one way and your habits go the other. Your heart's going to follow the habits. Mm. So I needed to rethink my daily rhythms of how phone and work emails, uh, not resting, always eating on the go. This stuff was affecting my heart. And so the common rule is the book that came out of that.
1: Don't you feel like it's interesting people who write things in that kind of lane? It's never out of full blown success. It's always crash burned something terrible happened oh and then i kind of figured it out where's the book where the person was just born that way and always lived very well in that lane is it is that probably not even a possibility do you think
0: well i think they're out there but nobody wants to read them because we relate to people in their vulnerabilities and in their crises honestly sure and i think there's plenty of people talking about like i wrote i came to find i wrote nothing new but i think if the lord has given me anything it's he's given me my own interior struggle that people are like i feel like that like you know i'm, I'm a still a full-time business lawyer dad of four boys i think i think for better or for worse people can relate and say i'm I'm like you i'm not necessarily super spiritual but i also feel like i want to figure out how to move closer to the lord in my ordinary routines and that's the common rule sort of about that It's bringing um, those spiritual disciplines into the common person's life, like right wherever you are, bringing it in there.
1: And then habits of the household was pretty self explanatory. It was doing a lot of that within the family dynamic.
0: It is. And it's also something that kind of came out of my crisis of realizing, like, you know, I started to practice habits like scripture before phone like sabbath like turning my phone off an hour a day just like getting my technology and work rhythms in order but i was i had a realization where like yeah and yet i'm still the dad who's regularly yelling at my kids in the evening and it was sort of this like i think gracious but uh painful epiphany where the lord was like so glad to see you're like working with me changing you here now I also want to change your life with your children.
1: Yeah, and so habits
0: of household is really that same kind of the heart follows the habits idea, but applied to parenting and family rhythms of saying like, "My, let me invite my wife and my children into this, and really let me think of, let me rethink how I'm reacting in the home to ordinary circumstances, and how I can invite the Lord to change those because a lot of that is happening in the realm of habit. So yeah.
1: You've mentioned in the book as well that you're still doing this business lawyer thing full-time, and that's still really what you do. Are you at a point, though, with where people have responded to you well, We'll talk a little bit more in a minute about my buddy Jordan who read this book, Made for People. It really has had a deep impact on him. Do you kind of feel this tug of war of like, okay, here's what's developing with books and everything that goes with that. and People want to interview you and various things like that and probably speaking other things versus here's the business law side. Does it feel like that's got to come to the head at some point?
0: I mean, I feel the tension all the time, but there's, there's two things really that keep me standing in the tension and 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 really keeping me in the place where I feel like the lord has called me to the tension. One is that I really do love lawyering. Like I love being a business lawyer. I help companies start, I help them take on investment, I help them, you know, sell. Um so I'm not in the courtroom and it's actually extremely life-giving to to make deals and help people work out contracts. I'm getting better help at my law firm. Like we're growing. I'm hiring people. So I just like it, Jeff, is a simple answer. Sure. Two, I have thought often about man, if I went and I would because I think actually at the end of the day I'm a, I'm a writer like and and the lawyering is actually an occupation of words, which is why it works. but I think I would very quickly become distanced from what people want to understand and hear about because I've left the grind mm. of I have to make a living And I really do you know part of what I didn't say is like I I also need need to make, like earn income from my family through the lawyering thing. And I could, like, go full veer into the author and speaking stuff, but it would become then a need to make money, and that would change slightly the character. I'm not saying that's the end of the world, but it would change a little bit of the character. And I just think then I'm a person who writes and speaks for a living, and I think that your average reader just puts that person in a different category Mm. compared to the person who's like, oh, you're a parent like me, you're a lawyer, you know, or you have a day job like me. And so I think just think for like for right now, probably the next at least decade or more, that's where the Lord has called me to like live in the grind and write out of the trenches. You know, hopefully when I'm 60, I'll have something really wise to say to the world. And I can just like retire and write maybe. So that's my short answer there. I feel called to the grind.
1: Well, yeah, and I really like what you're saying about staying close to it and having a voice that people can relate to that versus like, yeah, this person gets to write books and they go and hang out in a coffee shop or in her basement for days and weeks in and nobody ever sees them. And then they go speak to thousands and thousands of people and nobody really relates to them and, and you know, that kind of thing. Plus, you you just seem to me like a guy you would fight really hard to stay humble and not bind to this persona or this image, social media well, wise or otherwise that people want you to be, or almost, you probably have to be a little bit in that kind of space if yeah. you are removed.
0: That is a third actually really important part. And I don't think that's inevitable, but this will start to veer into the topic of this next book and our conversation. My friends who I'm not just listening to, like I'm beholden to, right? Like my people here in Richmond, I have to stay rooted locally and stay rooted relationally uh, otherwise you know i'm i'm cooked like i have like loyalty obligations to these to these people here and they would make sure that i didn't do anything stupid but part but, but part of that is yes like the more i stay i think in the grind of being a dad, like that is my main occupation right now. And saying, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I gotta figure this out, how to work and make income just like other people. And I've got local relationships here. Like my relationship isn't just gonna become a network of people who travel and all those things, I think make me into the kind of person who can genuinely remain walking with the Lord while genuinely saying something out of it. And I just feel like at this phase of my life, if I were to leave some of those important anchors, it's not wrong and other people do it and they do it well but for me it would be a risk and yeah. I don't want to I'd rather write out of like a grounded humility with my friends here in Richmond than any sort of temptation of celebrity being tethered from that. sure and that's really important to me yeah
1: I like what you're saying about your friends not allowing you to do something stupid Stephen Mansfield talks about having people in your life who aren't aren't afraid to slam you and yes. I just sense like, I, it's funny. So I, I live close to Richmond, Indiana and really like Richmond, Indiana. So when you were saying Richmond, my mind initially drifted to Indiana, but I'm like, no, he's in Virginia. But I thought, man, right, right, I right, think right. I'd love to know Steve and some of these other guys. Cause there just seems to be a thing that, you know, people will say all the time they want it and we'll get more into this in a minute, but yeah. do they really want it? And that's one of the biggest struggles I deal with day in and day out mm-hmm. connecting men to men, men to God. I had a I had a text exchange with a guy last night, and he thought I was getting a little rude with him because I'm like, dude, you said you wanted to connect. You've reached out to me over a month, several times. Nothing has happened. What are we talking about? Like, let's either Mm. do it, poop, or get off the pot. Mm. Like, let's go. And and I know some of these guys are people you grew up with, but, like, what, what is happening there in Richmond, Indiana, with your circle of friends that is pretty rare and unique that's probably not happened in many other places? I mean, there's obviously some... We'll get into the word covenant friendship. But what is going on there that's so unique and special? Well,
0: you know, here in Richmond, Virginia, I think what's going on is actually super ordinary, ancient and old. But it is an actual lived out practice of committing to friendships on a level that rivals your marriage and family commitments. Just saying like, you know, on the line of like the Lord, my wife and my family, friends are like really pushing up close to that family level of saying we don't thrive unless we stay together because we're made for people such an, in such a way that we will spiritually and physically with or without it and it's a very ordinary lived out commitment like and we'll, we'll talk about it but it's very ordinary just sense of we just stay present in each other's lives from text chains to weekend hangouts to like once in a while cabin getaways it is totally ordinary lived out and but totally extraordinary in the way that it changes your life.
1: So attack this statement that's very bold. I screenshot it the other day. I try to send my kids a note, especially my boys, now that one's moved out. One's in college away in Indiana and, and one's still in the house. And I screenshot this beautiful picture of some bicycles and stuff. And it said, you cannot experience God the way you were made to until you experience him alongside others. Clearly, people want to take a shot at that statement. Tell them why that is yeah. 100% right.
0: Yeah, I wrestled with this, Jeff, and so this is just, let's just kick off the book here because this is the, um, this is the getting into the core of it, okay. When I was in high school, I started high school like an anxious clarinet playing, tucking in my shirt, (laughs) worried about everything, Mm -hmm. not just like nerdy socially, but honestly, like I look back at that time and I think, oh, I'm the kind of high schooler that people would now diagnose with some like anxiety or social anxiety. It was just it was just an awful time of life for the first year. I was new to my school. There was everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And then through a series of not providential, but seemingly to me random at the time circumstances, I encountered this friend Steve at some youth group retreats. We bonded over skateboarding, hacky sacks and drum sets things that I was trying to work on to elevate my social status. Cause the clarinet and shirt tucking thing wasn't working very well for me.
1: <laughs> Hadn't shirt tucking <laughs> um, in worked somewhere for somebody?
0: Yeah. I don't know. Maybe in the fifties, like for the greasers, it was working good, but um, <laughs> it was not working well for me. But I suddenly encountered this guy with whom we have a couple common interests. And we have a conversation at the lockers about a month later after first hanging out at a youth retreat one weekend. And we have this remarkable moment where and I think it was Steve who said it, said, you know, do you want to be best friends? It's totally awkward and totally off the cuff. And I was just like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And as if it was the decision, like, you know, whether to go get Slurpees at 7-Eleven or something. We just decided, yes, we were going to do this best friend thing and we went on our merry way. And I pointed out because it's just this funny moment, but that I look back to and I see literally my life pivots at this moment. Okay everything afterwards began to change. And not because the circumstances changed. High school was still this adolescent realm of you know difficult social circumstances, but I no longer faced those circumstances alone. The way I felt about myself and all that anxiety and everything, it just completely changed. And I've had this feeling ever since that I was made for friendship, okay? And it's years unpacking this. But part of the impetus of this book and then considering what it means theologically is realizing, I think most of us, I look around right now, are living in a world where we have no idea that all the anxiety, the depression, a lot of the frustration and the just sort of feeling that, oh, my gosh, life is so hard is not actually baked into life. It's baked into doing life alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when we realize oh wait, you're made for people in such a way that you can't experience God until you experience him alongside others, that would change everything. So as I'm like examining this thesis, and I promise I'm answering your question here, because first it was a lived experience, right? It was a lived experience of it. And then it was a realization of, wait, I'm looking at the world, and the Surgeon General is literally putting out a report this summer that's saying we're dying younger. Our average American lifespan is going down because we're lonely. So I have this lived experience of the glory of it. I'm looking out at a world that's literally starting to die. And I'm like, what is going on? And if you look at Genesis, it's like almost immediately, the question is answered. Because in a very short first three chapters of Genesis, you see God creating the world in Genesis one and saying, good, good, good. Everything I'm making is good. It's great. In Genesis 2, he looks at Adam and says this sudden and very startling sentence, it is not good that man is alone. Which when you come in a Hebrew, like when you pair this up with the good, 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 suddenly not good. It's a theologically significant moment where the music stops and we zoom in and we say, why, how is it possible that Adam is lonely when God is there in the garden? Well, As it turns out, it's because Adam was built, we are all built, such that we can't commune with God. We can't be with him the way that we're supposed to, the way that we're made to be with him, until we're with him alongside other people. This is certainly an ode to marriage. This is certainly an ode to man and woman. But it's also an ode to the fact that we just saw that God said, let us make man in our own image. So we're created in the image of community, which means we can't do life without it. And this makes total sense of then what you see in Genesis chapter three, where when sin enters the garden, the first consequences of sin are relational—they're fig leaves hiding from other people, and bushes hiding from God. Which I just think—I think that brings the theological lens into focus, where you see the pinnacle of human life is to be known by God and others, and loved anyway. That vulnerability and that commitment—that's what we're made for. That's what we lost in the garden, and it's why when we don't live into deep, what I would call covenant friendships, we will physically and spiritually fall apart. That is theologically true, sociologically true, and I'll raise my hand and say from personal experience, I realized it at the lockers in high school. I just didn't know why until I reread Genesis.
1: Yeah, it's it's so weird as you say all this. I mean, I feel like, you know, I saw the, that that magazine-type periodical thing you lifted up that showed that 2023 that's where we are it's interesting that you really discovered this in high school when Stephen, you started how old were you at the time you said when you guys had that conversation
0: gosh yeah i must have been 14 probably by the lockers and i think a lot of people i would bet can look back to something in high school something in middle school something in college maybe their early 20s where they're like i've known friendship before like, it's totally normal for people to to have had this experience, but I think what's important to realize about that is that almost unanimously, Americans are people who used to have friends. Like, the trajectory of American life is to become a busier, wealthier person who used to have friends. And I only, in this book, Made for People, I'm honestly just trying to kind of grab the church by its lapels and say, friendship is far more spiritual than you think. Mm-hmm. And we can't do this thing called walking with Jesus unless we're doing it intimately alongside other people. We need to be the counterculture to the American lonely epidemic, loneliness epidemic and say, let's live differently. Let's put all the light of Christ, the relationship in the church, instead of saying, let's just keep following Jesus alongside the culture that's walking into loneliness.
1: Okay, so let me take about four phrases we have used with the gathering over the years. And I want you to be a gathering champion for a minute and speak to my board, speak to my donors, speak to the guys, 200 and some guys involved in what we do. We've used taglines at times or mantras like this, 2 a.m. friend, got one. For our whole history, our tagline has been connecting men to men, which goes first, connecting men to God. We've used the quote about one in 10 men have a friend. And then we'll talk Mm. about, Then this is out of our national office. When we were still national, we used the phrase, Life is too short to get it wrong. Now, how would you take those four different either stats or phrases and build a case to say, hey, guys, Miami Valley, Springfield, Dayton area, Bell Fountain, whatever, don't mess with this. You better run with what Jeff's saying, what I'm saying in this book.
0: Get it together. Well, I couldn't agree more. And all, what I want to do is, like, light it on fire so that everybody sees, like, This is the thing right now that that guys need to be talking about. All right. One in 10 men and the stats are getting worse, like actually have a friend, which means that everybody. So many guys are absolute crisis mode inside because they're absolute lonely inside. And that means their walks with the Lord are falling apart. If they have them, their walks, you know, their relationships with their wives are falling apart if they haven't already left them. They're not being the man that they need to be for their kids to follow them. And so much of this is solvable when we walk alongside other people, not because life becomes easy, but like I was talking about the high school moment, it's because now we don't face our circumstances alone. And the kinds of fathers, husbands, cultural leaders we need to be, literally you cannot be them alone. I'm saying say it again. You cannot be a leader alone, not in any meaningful sense. Mm -hmm. And that's why we see so many celebrity implosions or people we thought we trusted because they live alone and you you you're saying you know you need that 2 a.m friend this is this is exactly like that's what i would call a friend right i'm trying to elevate the definition of friend to say it's not something we do with a click on facebook it's a product of a, a deeper covenantal relationship where we agree with somebody you know it doesn't have to be super formal or have a written contract signed in blood Though I'm open to it. No, yeah, <laughs> it, exactly. But it has to, it has to, it's something like you actually have someone in your life who knows you so thoroughly and loves you anyway that you would not be embarrassed to call them at 2 a.m. And likewise, that they wouldn't be embarrassed to call you at 2 a.m. Because most people will show up if you actually call them. Problem is, most of us aren't calling anybody. Yeah. Because we're living through our crisis modes and we're like, I can't let people know or like, I must be the only one struggling with this we that is a radical kind of vulnerability that turns masculinity honestly into something beautiful and something incredibly strong i think like all the toxic masculinity stuff is when we do it alone yeah
1: Um, like like we've got this low-hanging fruit it's so accessible we believe some lie that's which we all know it's true don't try to do this thing alone and yet people do. And I want to I get to this quote. So Jordan, who read this book with me, one of our guys who's great, he's yeah. a teacher. I, th- I said earlier he was high school. I think he's a middle school teacher. But he, he said this about the book. He said, I think this book spoke to a deeper longing in my heart with thinking about who my covenant friends could be or become but have not been named. And also how mm. terrifying making that covenant could be. But at the same time, how much I desire that level of commitment because of the comfort that can be found in that. What do you say to a guy like Jordan encourage him based on what he said, how the book impacted him? Make it, make it not the book now, make it more specific. Say, all right, Jordan, based on what you said. I would
0: say like one, Jordan, I am so happy to hear it. It is no surprise. You feel like this spoke to a deeper longing that you just hadn't named because I would look at every guy like Jordan. and I'd say, brother, you were made for this. Like there is a reason you're going to feel like a fish put back into water. When you start realizing I need to name my friendships as significant or when you start to realize I need friendships, it's like naming a need. It's like, yeah, you were built for water because you're a fish, you know, and I'm saying, yeah, you were built for close covenantal friendships because you're a human being created in the image of God. And, And I would like so the first is I just think the encouragement is this is like, men. this is why you feel the way you feel. This is why life is going really well and and everything seems like it fits when you're actually walking alongside other people through your difficulties and it's also why you feel like the house is on fire when you're alone because your house is on fire up here your heart is on fire you weren't meant to you weren't meant to live like that and it's i think it's deeply encouraging to have that named and say oh i'm not strange i'm not weak and i'm not weird I'm a man. I was built for this. Mm. I was built for people, and of course, I'm saying, yeah, man, I, you know, I think we have a unique problem in that we don't do this well. But humans were built for this, just to, to be clear. Sure. And and the second thing I would say to encourage somebody like Jordan is that this is within your grasp, mm. despite how bad the loneliness epidemic is, and despite how badly our lives are arranged for friendship. What I think is amazing is that a couple little changes in your, honestly, your routine or your lifestyle can put you in the way of friendship such that your life will totally change. It's within your grasp. You can actually change your life by being the person who starts and takes the first move.
1: And that's where there's great hope. I like that you said that earlier and you reiterated it. It is within your grasp. And I think that's true for anybody. It's just a matter of when God puts the right things, the right people, the right opportunities in your way jump on them. And I've seen that time and time again from guys that have flourished, particularly the Lord. They've said yes to a lot of the right things, not just stuff your calendar full of stuff, but ways where they will grow, meet people, connect, retreats, you name it. So I like that you're making that very accessible. So real quick, because we need to not stay in the deep end the whole time. Let's get to, and you've been on here before, so I had to change the rapid five. got to get five new questions for you that are fun and light. What is your favorite, just an unsung holiday each year maybe it's not even a holiday but like i love two dates a year i love nba saturday night when they have the dunk contest three-point shootout i love that and then that first thursday of the ncaa tournament where people take off work and they sit in front of a tv all day or get with guys and watch it college basketball those are two unsung days every year to me what's something for you yeah i'm a big world series guy i'm a big baseball
0: fan And I think the World Series often gets ignored because it's like at the end of a long month of baseball. But the weather is perfect. The changing of the seasons is perfect. And like to get to stretch out those games, listening to them on the radio. I just feel like it's a glorious time of year. So that's what I'm going for. So
1: do you kind of hate that the World Series over the years is not still played at all during the day? They're always nighttime games. Um no, I don't mind it
0: because that's actually when I have more free time anyway and I listen to a lot of baseball on the radio through the
1: day. Okay. So Okay. Not bothering me. What is the card game or board game that Team Early is totally digging right now? What's what's a card game or board game that everybody else needs to go buy cuz you guys love it?
0: There's a great game that's right in the age and stage of my boys called Taco Goat Cat Oh, uh, yeah. Something. I'm have you heard of this?
1: Uh, we we have it, but I don't know that we've played it yet because we're always getting games and we find a couple. Yeah, that... okay. I think it's Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's it's
0: uh, it's just one of those um, matching games where if you, like, lay the card down, everybody has to slap and you get the pile and you try to earn it. And I love it because it engages the adults enough to be like, you know, you're thinking about it and trying to slap the cards. But my four-year-old oh, can play wow. it. and my kids are between four and 11 – so, it's simple enough for a four year old to get super excited about it. There you But go. enough that it adults are. So, it's like kind of the whole family's like, we're in for this. So yeah, that's super Taco cool. can go cheap. Pizza. Yeah. And it's cheap deck of cards. Like, Hopefully, Amazon
1: gives you some credits and people, I bet, will go buy that. So, yeah, shoot. I did, should have done an affiliate link. I missed that Okay. You get to see any artist, band, or comedian in any venue. Who are you watching? Where are you watching them at? Oh, my gosh.
0: The Lone Bellow. if you haven't heard of them, Mm-mm. this is a great day for you. <laughs> you need to go listen. Cool. To the Lone Bellow. Bello. So I would see the Lone Bellow at a local like acoustic Richmond venue. And here's why. The Lone Bellow is a trio. It's two guys and a and a girl. Sometimes they perform with a full band. They're sort of like Indie country. They're um, they're definitely like got a. They, they started in Brooklyn, but now they're in Nashville. So they got like a, a a country southern vibe, like John Prine sort of feel. But they're just locked into three part harmonies all the time. Okay, and so they like really satisfy my desire for rock and musicianship, but at the same time, like three part harmonies and like a mandolin um, thrown in though. And when these three people get on stage in an acoustic setting and just sing, they are just like incredible musicians so okay. everybody who hasn't heard them that you're welcome yeah i was gonna
1: say you got me excited you said you said country you lost me but then you talked about the harmonies and you talked about rock that got me a whole lot more my wife and i yeah the country is not they're southern but they're not really okay. country yeah yeah my wife and i are getting to knock off a bucket list item in december we're going to the Ryman to see the andrew peterson behold the lamb of god christmas tour 20th anniversary finally we're going to the Ryman to see it so we're super pumped about that one
0: that's, I will hopefully follow you shortly after. I want to, I want to see them at the Ryman too.
1: Yeah, it's a great show. I think they got, they usually do two nights. I think there's two nights. We're going to like on December 3rd, December 4th, something like that. So what is uh, Justin, yeah. a YouTube video, a movie clip, a reel, a couple minutes soundbite that if you watched it a hundred times, you would laugh just as hard the hundredth time as the first time. I'm hardly laughing because for some reason,
0: <laughs> for some reason. The dude wears my car clip, where he talks to the Chinese restaurant wait wait what, to go service, and the person just keeps saying and then and then and then until it goes crazy. Um, dude wears my car is like kind of a funny movie.
1: That was the one with uh, what's his name um, Ashton Kutcher, right? Yeah,
0: that's right, that's right. Okay. and uh, like this is just one of those things where my, my friends and I watched it in high school, I think, and we like were falling off the bed laughing and for whatever reason like my wife just like she's like this is not that funny like why are you I've tried to play it for other people and they're like uh it's okay but for some reason when my friends and I watch that clip still now we're all rolling so that's my that's what I'm going to Don't, you don't lo- watch the whole movie just google that clip. There
1: you go. Don't you don't you love those little short clips that Get you every time. Like there's there's one that was on um back when uh oh what's his name for Craig Craig Kilbourne did the Late Late Show. He had a clip on there of this trampoline bear is what it's called, where they, they go up and have to get this trampoline or this bear in Missoula, Montana out of this tree, and they stick a trampoline down to hit him with one of those stun guns. And the way he falls and it lands on the ground, it cracks me up every time I watch it. I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it. And then there's this one, I All forgot right. what it's called. It's called like dodgeball in the face. And there's this guy with his buddy and they're like real close to each other. He claps his hands like, hit me. And th- this dodgeball comes out of this machine and drills him in the face. And every time I crack up watching it, it's the funniest thing. It's like a dodgeball hit I'm a dude in the face. These clips uh, now. That's, that's trampoline bear, stuff. dodgeball in the face. I mean, every time it cracks me up. <laughs> so Justin <an> Early, <laughs> oh, the movie, who's playing you? Oh, man. I know you want exactly. to say Bradley Cooper, right?
0: <laughs> that's who I was thinking of. But I was like, I'm not that big, but kind of like darker complexion. He's got the beard thing, and so I, I'm going to embarrassly like, going to go with that one.
1: Wow! So like, you were thinking it though? You yeah. didn't just go with my answer, right? I want him
0: to play me, yeah, but he's not the person that's going to play me. He's like, he's you know, he's like bigger, he's more handsome. I don't know. I probably get somebody like uh, I looked like Justin Bieber does now in my 20s oh. so he's probably if, he, if somebody actually did a biopic of my life in my 20s let's say like i'm like the roaming missionary in china that i was somebody who looks like justin bieber like that's what i looked like walking through china so yeah that's probably what I,
1: you know what's yeah. funny i wouldn't have thought of that about you but when you said it i was looking at you in the eyes and i could see in eyes a little bit
0: yeah is that yeah, the connection
1: yeah. It's also it's also just
0: the whole vibe like you know I'm in a corporate lawyer now like I like I'm not super dressed up today but you know I'm just a lot more kempt and uh, different than I looked then okay. I was like the skinny sort of roaming like longer hair punk rock style okay um starving artist type through most of my 20s
1: yeah Cool. Well, let's, let's get on to some other stuff here. So let's, let's talk more about this marriage thing about you talk about covenant friendship. You know, one of the things I see sometimes is if you got a, if you got a guy who his wife is really supportive, she pushes him, let's say our way he'll flourish. The wife's encouraging it. I tell people all the time, good, Men relationships with other men, women with other women, that marriage is going to flourish. But then there are definitely either men who feel like they're taking time away from their family, they can't have those relationships, or even in some cases, the wife holds them back and says, hey, we need you home, we can't have you doing, you get time to work, you get time to leave the house, we need you home. Speak to that dilemma, because you obviously hit on some stuff like that in the book.
0: Yeah, I just want to ground this theologically, right? We talked about earlier, you can be lonely with God, right? And we didn't really bring the, the Jesus or the gospel into it, but like, you know, just to complete the the translation for people. This is why Jesus uses John 15 as, to talk about why salvation is an act of friendship. Okay. And Jesus is the person who knows us fully and yet loves us anyway. So Jesus is the ultimate friend. And when we act like that, we're imitating him, right? And the call of Ephesians, including many other places in the Bible, is to become like Christ, be imitators of God. If Jesus is the, the ultimate covenant friend, then be, becoming more like him, imitating him, necessarily means we look more and more like a friend. Theological foundation complete. Any husband wants their wife to look more like Jesus. They should. Any wife should be wanting her husband to look more like Jesus. And looking more and more like Jesus is necessarily going to mean looking more and more like a friend. And if your only friend is your spouse, then you're not being a good friend to your spouse because you need other men in your life to be a great husband. And your wife needs other women in her life to be a great spouse. So we should first be sometimes kicking them out of the home, but more likely encouraging them laying the foundation what this looks like for me and my wife for example is when she's got this book club that i know she loves to go to because yeah they read a book but really they're connecting on a deep you know level like these are deep friends that she's hanging out with i'm like yeah babe like i'll finish i'll clean up after dinner i'll finish like i'll get the kids to bed you go out and do that like i want you to feel like it's a great night for you Mm -hmm. when i have my evenings with matt and steve and we're gonna like hang out on the porch and have a beer and just talk about our life she's same thing she's like I'm not gonna bother you I'm not gonna complain I'm sending you out to that because I know you come back a better man so like whether it's having to kick your wife or your husband out of the house to get them to do that or whether it's just providing the foundation for it I want to say it's really clear you're playing a significant role in their sanctification at that mm. moment because you're helping them look more like Jesus yeah so needless to say We shouldn't be putting obstacles in their way Mm. you know needless to say we shouldn't be guilt tripping them and and being like well don't you love being with the family my no of course i love being with my family that's why i need to go be with my friends because i need to be a good dad yeah and and my kids need to see me in deep relationships when my friends come over i actually try to get my older kids to stay up a little bit later just to see us hang out for a minute because you know they don't get to stay for the whole talk but i want them to see sure that their dad is somebody who epitomizes masculinity because he invites other men into their life. Yeah. That is so important. And so, you know, any, anybody who was like, you know, jealous of their spouse's time, I would be like, that's a problem between you and Jesus. You need to go sort it out because you're, you're getting in the way of them becoming like Christ.
1: Yeah, sanctification, becoming like, gee, I love that way you make that. So let's hit on these. There's three areas I'd like to talk about, and maybe we might only have time for a couple of these, but you talk in the book about us being like rivers and things flowing out of us. And when that doesn't Mm -hmm. happen, good things you say become dangerous things. There's another point where you talk about forgiveness, and you say forgiveness is about turning from the what-if to the what-will you know, and wherever you see maybe some fruit in that arena, maybe in your life or other people. Third thing I would throw out is, and like I said, we, unfortunately, we're not going to have time to get to all these, but I love when you're talking about pursuing holiness versus happiness. And I know to most yeah. people, we America builds everything on happiness, but you say holiness is the better pursuit. Hit on a couple of those and kind of take that a little further.
0: Yeah. Well, we're like, I can't get enough of rivers. Um, I live on the James River. It always explains so much to me. The parts of the river that are flowing with new intake and like output, those are just, that's where you want to be. That's where healthy life is. That's where wildlife grows. You get a stagnant pool and it's, it's, it's disgusting, you know, like bacteria starts to form. People die. If you drink it, you know, animals don't want to go there. That's what we're like when we create clicks cliques of friendships where it's like hey it's just us and nobody else is coming in one bad for you you're going to grow stagnant two zero witness to the world are, are cuz when when i talk about friendship people can start to get worried of like well like we're not talking about like closing off right no, no the direct and i tell stories about this in the book the direction of friendship is like the open circle of the trinity the father the son and the holy spirit i mean they're good they don't they don't need anything else and yet They open up at Mm. great personal cost, the relationship with Trinity to us through Jesus. So, you know, we need to always be open to new friendship. I'd probably just hit the forgiveness one after that, because any friendship has two ingredients, a center and a center. You are going to have problems. You are going to hurt each other. And if you're afraid to be hurt, or if you don't know how to do forgiveness, you can't do friendship. Like, you've got to be willing to be hurt to do friendship. And it, But it's, again, kind of like the sanctification thing earlier. It's the place where we have to learn to forgive other people, which means, by definition, again, by covenanting and sticking in them and fighting for them, we're becoming more like Christ because of it. So I just want people, you know, don't be surprised that friendship hurts, just like marriage. Yeah, it's going to hurt in the best of ways because it's sanctifying you
1: let's make time for that I do want to hear you talk about pursuing holiness versus happiness because again we live in a world where you know kids are going off to school this week or you got this you got that people are talking about wanting want them to be happy and you know how will you know if your kids were well they were happy not the same thing much selling that thing way short compared to what could be talk about that but yeah I mean for me this is
0: so important for anybody in all things like you know like if you exercise You know the path that health is like goes through pain. Like the point is like get out there and tear down your muscles, stretch your lungs, push through that hard fire, like you know, heartbeat rate moment because everything that you want is on the other side of suffering. And if we are looking at life and saying, my primary goal is to be happy and content, the opposite is going to happen because you don't get stronger by saying, I just want my muscles to feel fine. Like, no, you have to set them on fire to grow stronger. And you start to realize it's worth it. And if you're looking at your family and being like, hey, this friendship stuff sounds great. But like, we're busy. We got practice, soccer practice. Like, my wife and I are pretty happy at home. You know, we don't really want to push to, like, be out of the house one night a week doing that community group or something. I'm saying that, okay, just on the surface, it just sounds like you're pursuing happiness, not holiness. Because holiness is going to stretch you a little bit. It's gonna stretch you. You gotta like work work through community stuff. You know, pursuing holiness versus happiness in your marriage is gonna look like actually talking about the stuff you need to talk about with your spouse instead of being like, I just wanna keep the peace this Tuesday evening, you know? All these areas, you, w- you look at Christ and you're like, he's the one who went through the pain to find us because he wasn't content with us just to like happily walk to hell. He wants us to come into the pain, take up our cross with him, because he knows everything that we want is on the other side of that kind of suffering and pain. And so holiness is always going to hurt a little bit, but it's much better than happiness.
1: So if a businessman or someone's taking Christmas gifts or a locker room, one of our uh, locker rooms is looking to get a new book, encourage people why they should go get this and do it in a group study or the businessman or person who likes giving books to people should go buy 20 copies of this book and give it away. What, what would be your push on why they would do that?
0: Yeah, I mean, my great hope for this book, that would just like, I would be over the moon if people did that because I've tried to write something where if you read it in a small, like this is a communal book, right? I've tried to write something where if you drop it into a small group, drop it into a men's ministry, people are going to be having epiphanies like over and over being like, oh my gosh, wait, this is why this group matters. And so as a catalyst for your group to read this together, whether it's a you know small group a friend group or a men's ministry. I, I have tried to write something where it's like this is the this is the modern book you need to read for that. You know, like previously, like like Bonhoeffer's Life Together has been a great uh, book for Christian communities to read. And somebody just asked me two days ago, they're like, you know, Bonhoeffer's Life Together is a, a, a it's a little harder to read now, harder for people people to get into. And I'm like, I would love it if this was seen in that vein, mm-hmm. where this is this is the book you need to read to kick off that men's ministry. And, and or or like colleges i'm thinking a lot about yes. this like a lot a lot of the sticky power in, in discipleship is are, are you creating a life that you're walking alongside with other people that's the difference in the people in college i knew that have fallen off the map and have stuck through this long road walking with Jesus it's are they doing it next to friends and one of my great hope is that this get into college ministries and people would early build that foundation of, okay, if I'm gonna walk with Jesus, I gotta walk with him beside other people. Mm. So, the, yeah, I, I would love for people to be gifting this book to other men and college students and saying, form a life like this.
1: Well, I'm wearing my Grace College hat today. We'll be pointing some Grace College folks that Let's route, <laughs> and uh, there'll be much more to come. So, Justin, keep narrowing that lane down. I feel like everything you're writing is even more in my space, in my world, all the time. I'm really grateful for what god is putting on your heart and you're downloading holy spirit messages that we need in our discipleship toolbox i'm really grateful for it and thanks for being a, the one of the first second time guests and hopefully third time guest is not far away either
0: let's hey let's see if we hit a triple let's go
1: let's go <laughs> awesome have a great day justin great talking my friend Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.